Hello, this is Rob Pierman. Last week, Derek Staines, with the help of various Radio Verulam presenters, looked back at 2020 in St Albans. He found lots of good news and good memories to remind us that whatever the tier we find ourselves in, however desperate we may be for normal life, it's not all been bad. Now this week I'm offering 2020 Vision Reflections of the Year in the Villages. Now that's Redbourne, Sundridge, Wheathampstead and Kimpton. And as you'll hear with the help of various Radio Vellum presenters, it's been an interesting and challenging year in these villages too, but also one where a huge amount has been achieved. Christmas is coming, the lights and the trees will be up, but of course with some of the businesses closed and with restrictions in place, it'll be very different for most of us. So let's go and find out what's been happening in the villages across our district, starting to the west of the city in Redbourne. I spoke earlier to one of the key members of the team that's really been doing amazing things against all the odds. Sally Bartlett is chair of Redbourne Care Group. Now that's uh, an organisation that I believe in one form or another, uh, Sally, has been around for 40 odd years. Absolutely, yes. Long time. If you've been around for 40 years, you were thinking of uh, celebrating in some way this year. At the beginning of this year, we'd got some really ambitious plans about all sorts of activities and social events, of course, to celebrate the 40 years. But of course, we've put those on hold now. We're not going to forget them, but hopefully next year, when people can be more sociable again, we can put some of these activities into action. And actually, we'll probably really appreciate them because obviously it's been a very difficult year for everybody. It's quite a a neat little village, isn't it? Because it's got the high street in the middle and and it, it really pretty well surrounds the high street, doesn't it? It's quite compact. It is quite compact, but it's quite interesting when you get to know the village, how extensive it is. If you do go up Library Lane into some of the housing areas and some of the other districts at the top of Dunstable Road, there are almost communities within Redbourne. And that's what's been interesting, actually, about this period of time during the pandemic, because local neighbourhoods, local areas have really come out and supported each other. And I think that's been a, a fantastic development for Redbourne. Neighbours have got to know neighbours and it has all been about connections actually. When did you start gearing up for Covid? I mean was it as soon as the first lockdown or was it before that? Really it was probably just two or three weeks before the lockdown because we were beginning obviously to get a feel from the government that there was going to be a lockdown so we started pretty quickly And what triggered the reaction in Redbourne was a Facebook group that was set up by Celine Powell called Redbourne Coronavirus Volunteers. And about 500 volunteers very quickly signed up. So what we did was we got together, we worked closely together. So it was the care group, the coronavirus volunteers, St Mary's Church, the health centre, the pharmacy, Neighbourhood Watch got involved, active in Redbourne and different groups. We actually coordinated and worked together, pooled our resources and knowledge. And that meant we were able to start helping people really from day one of the first lockdown when panic was, well, rife, really. Where did it start? You've got all these volunteers you've got these groups coming together but what did you do first well that was the million dollar question really how do you organize all those volunteers how do you coordinate it and that was our conundrum but what we did was we had about five or six people who met together by zoom of course and we very quickly set up the helpline number so that between 10 and 4 every day including the weekend somebody who needed help could ring a number and Celine kindly organized all these volunteers into 
to street groups using WhatsApp. So when the calls came in and the care group volunteers took the calls, we immediately WhatsApped the street coordinators and the coordinators found volunteers. This was mostly to help with shopping, prescriptions, deliveries and other errands. And the helpline call was also to give support to people. So we were able to organise ourselves very quickly. We had these weekly meetings active in Redbourne and all the street volunteers did a leaflet drop. And then we did a second drop with a booklet that was produced by Active in Redbourne called How to Keep Physically and Mentally Active While Self-Isolating. So again, we did all work together, which I think was the key really to make it a success, to support people. We tried really hard to support people and we tried to get the message across that we would support people of any age group because the care group is often seen as a support for older people, but that wasn't the message we wanted to get across. Because there's a school right at the heart of the village isn't there so there are lots of young parents as well and some of those volunteers were phenomenal I was staggered by the number of volunteers that came forward and we had young people who'd come back from university young people who'd finished university or who'd finished A-levels and they volunteered and they did a tremendous amount of delivering of prescriptions and leaflet dropping and they were absolutely tremendous it's been quite a, a privilege actually to be in contact with so many people in Redbourne who've been so enthusiastic about helping each other. In what way is this different from the first lockdown? The second lockdown, I think people are anxious, but I don't think they're quite as panic-stricken because they, I think and I hope, they know that we have things in place to help them. So people who need food parcels, people who need shopping and prescriptions, we've set up those systems so that the foundations are there and that's what we put a lot of effort into sorting that out. So people can ring through and we can help and we have many volunteers who can help with that. We did find when the second lockdown was imminent that we had quite a few more people ringing in a state of anxiety. It is always very difficult for people, but hopefully we've reassured people. What we have found over this last period is that friendly calls and social interaction is absolutely key. And we've developed a new service, which we didn't have before. We're calling it Friendly Calls, and we now have extended it to a new service called Friendly Walks, because obviously under the current guidance, you are allowed to go outside and walk with one other person. So we've just started that this week because we're very aware that there are people on their own who do go out for a walk on their own. But actually, if they had someone to chat to for perhaps half an hour or so, that might help. So those are the areas that we're now able to develop. And I feel confident that we can develop them because the foundations for some of the other routine things, the shopping and the prescriptions, are in place. One of the things you've done is collected food for the food banks. During the first lockdown, that happened at the parish centre. It was once a fortnight. Yeah, we had volunteers taking things to the food banks and then the food banks obviously distributed them to people in need. And we are helping with that. This time, Redbourne has started a Redbourne Christmas hamper scheme. So again, people in need can put forward a request for a Christmas hamper, which hopefully will just not solve all their problems, but will just lighten the load for them on Christmas Day.
Well, Sally, it's a great story to hear how the Redbourne community has got together in so many ways. Obviously, there was a village, there was a community there already, but you really have built it up. Looking back at it now, is there anything you could sum it up under? Well, I wonder if I might sum it up by giving you a quotation from a resident, because for me, this is quite a tribute to the community who have pulled together. And it came from her heart. And she said... I have been so grateful to all the wonderful volunteers who have given up their time to help me during these difficult times. I have received food parcels, regular newsletters and my shopping done for me. My prescriptions have been delivered as well as transport arranged for my doctors and hospital appointments. The volunteers have been like guardian angels with their help and encouragement to keep me safe and well. I am so fortunate to live in such a special, caring village. I think that's a real tribute and I find it quite moving. Thank you very much, Sally. Thank you for asking me to come on the programme. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Now, of course, I recognise that not all Albanians know much about these villages. So let me just say that Redbourne has three pubs and a church. It also has the most wonderful common, a very large open space with at one end the high street, at the other church end with its cottages, almshouses and of course its 12th century church, just 910 years old. In the middle of the common is a cricket pitch and it's been a historic year for the Redbourne Cricket Club as they fought their way to the final of the National Village Knockout Cup held at Lords. Sadly they didn't win, even more sadly Covid put paid to having hundreds of locals to cheer them on. Well, let's see what more we can find out about Redbourne from Steve Simpson, who spoke with Chris Kenny from the Parish Council. I'm joined now by Chris Kenny, who is the clerk at Redbourne Parish Council. Chris, what is your abiding memory of 2020? I guess I've got to say Zoom meetings. <laughs> we've done a lot of Zoom meetings over the past, all our council meetings. Since March, we've missed one meeting, I think, and the rest have been on Zoom meetings. So we've had a lot of practice. Yeah, people are getting better at it now and understand the protocols. I think also face masks as well. Obviously, we've not been used to seeing face masks and definitely discarded the face masks around the village. And I also think we've seen queues outside the village stores. You know, we don't normally see that. So that's been a bit weird for people to have to suddenly pop out and get a pint of milk. It's been, you know, an hour long journey as opposed to five minutes. I would say that's another thing that I remember about 2020. Do you think it's brought people closer together? It's probably brought people together. We've always had quite a good, strong community spirit, I think, within Redbourne anyway. But people have definitely gone the extra mile and brought people together, yeah. I think there has been a bit of, you know, you know, people get annoyed because they're not perhaps doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's supposed to be two metres and you're not two metres. But I think in general, people have come together. And from the village perspective, has the tumultuous events of 2020 made a difference? I think it has made people shop locally. I mean, we've got two village stores and I think people have obviously used those a lot more where they've been in lockdown, which has been a positive for those shops. I think they're talking about a sense of togetherness. You know, we had a community group set up, which wasn't there before, a coronavirus volunteer group that was just set up by a resident on Facebook, decided that we need to do something and it just spiralled and spiralled. So from her original request, she suddenly got like 200 people saying, yeah, let's do something and thought, oh my goodness, how do I do that? And then actually we were able to involve a lot more of the 
organizations that we have and bring them together so where they've worked individually before we've been able to bring them all together and then bring out this really good network of help and volunteers we've had street coordinators for each street so they look out to individuals in the road that need help where they couldn't get out and get their prescriptions all those sort of things so that's been really good and that's brought people together what about 2021 if you had a crystal ball what would you be hoping for i think it would be lovely if we could have all our events because <laughs> we have a lot of events in the village we haven't had anything and i think people are really missing all that sort of stuff you know like the fireworks the christmas market the classics on the common folk on the common beers and carols all those sort of things that people just can't do and and they're the things that people really enjoy and it brings everyone together so I would really like to hope that the positiveness that we've had out of COVID in terms of people working together and engaging young and old together and they've all integrated I'd really hope that that would carry on next year even beyond the COVID crisis it would be really lovely. Chris Kenny thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. We're going to leave Redbourne now and head back towards St Albans along the route that was taken according to medieval historians by a large crowd carrying the remains of Amphibolus. Now, he'd been executed in Redbourne and the remains were found in the village. You remember Amphibolus, of course, the man whose life was saved by Alban, the man in the cloak. Now, the story at the time was that pilgrims came out from St Albans, possibly even carrying some remains of uh, Alban himself, and they met the Redbourne procession coming in. Their aim was to accompany them, bring both of these heroes together back to the abbey. Now, modern historians aren't quite so sure, so uh, maybe it's just what we now call fake news in capital letters. On we go towards the city, then turn left past Batchwood, then onwards past the ancient Britain and Beachbottom Dyke, and then left at the King William IV onto the road to Sandridge, heading north. This compact little village also has three pubs and a church. It's also where the Sandridge hoard was found, 50 Roman gold coins, now in the safekeeping of Verulamium Museum. Most recently, it's become the site of the country's largest new forest. And I spoke with Brian Legg, one of the heroic band of volunteers who's been working at Hartwood for many years. They asked him to take us back to the very beginning. The Woodland Trust was looking for a large site for a new forest in uh, this area, the southeast, and it bought the land in 2008. So in the autumn of 2009, we started planting trees. And since then... Over half a million trees have been planted, 600,000 in total, and all of those have been planted by volunteers, which I think is, is quite remarkable. We've had 50 volunteers who regularly come, or did, every week through the winter. We've had visits from, I should think, every school in the district. We had community days when sometimes we had four or 500 people come, often families with small children, to help plant the trees, and local companies have contributed as well. We believe, at the end of all that, that about 45,000 people have planted a tree at Hartwood. A part of the forest was there already. There was woodland there already, wasn't there, at the top? There were four small areas of what we call ancient woodland. And if you want the names, it's Roundwood, it's Puddlers and Wellwood, it's Bismire and it's Langley Wood. Some of those we know were there 400 years ago, and that makes them officially an ancient wood. And probably they've always been forest, because people didn't plant new woods before that. And of course, those are part of the, well, they're seen as one of the jewels in the crown of Hartwood because in the spring, they're full of wood anemones and bluebells. They're absolutely glorious. What you then added to that over the 10 or 11 years was, was it, what was the number of trees again? Remind me. 600,000. 600,000 trees over about 10 years. And were they different species that you had selected in the light of what was there already? 
Just over 20 species were selected. They are all native trees. That means that we know they were here before the um, English Channel opened and we were cut off from the continent. And so those species are there. About half of them are shrubs, and that means that they have flowers, they have berries, they attract the bees and the birds and so on. About half are trees that will grow really quite large. So people will be familiar with the, the oak, with the hornbeam. We haven't been able to plant ash recently, of course, because of ash dieback, but initially we did. And so now it's, it's a multi-species woodland or forest. Not all of the land has been planted to trees. There's over 100 acres that have been planted to wildflower meadows as well. And uh, they have been absolutely glorious. It's one of the, the real successes. And so what we've got is not only ancient woodland, not only the newly planted saplings as young groves, but we've also got the wildflower meadows. And so, you know, the diversity of habitats is absolutely wonderful. And what we've seen, I mean, one of the first impacts, if you like, is that insects come to the wildflower meadows. And so they are alive with bumblebees, with butterflies. The number of butterflies has increased four times since the first tree was planted. Is that the number of different species of butterfly or different types of butterfly? We've seen about 30 species of butterfly, but the fourfold refers to the total number that there are. We have a volunteer who walks the site every week from the 1st of April through to the mid-October and he counts every butterfly he sees. And he's done that now for 10 years. And so we've got very good records of how the numbers of butterflies have increased over that period. What about birds and little creatures that run among the uh, vegetation? It's good for all of those. Again, we record every autumn we do some trapping. It's humane trapping, but, but that's for small mammals. And there are eight species of small mammal, that's three species of mice, a couple of voles, three shrews. And again, there's large numbers of those over the whole site. And of course, what that provides is food for the kestrels and for the barn owls, which breed on the site. And that's, that's been wonderful. If you look at right across the range of birds, then the total number that are seen, again, there's been an annual survey and uh, they've recorded a doubling of the number of birds that are there. Probably over, over 100 species have been recorded in total. What has COVID, the pandemic, what has that done to all of this work? Because you were cracking on year after year, expanding the range of everything, wildlife was coming in. Suddenly you had to stop when you locked down for the first time in March. Now we're in the second lockdown. But what happened? We'd finished planting trees, fortunately. We, actually, this year we're going to replant a few that didn't do too well. But broadly speaking, we'd finished planting trees. And the car park was closed. What we couldn't do was a lot of the wildlife recording. So in our records, there will be one year missed, say particularly the birds. The butterflies, we could. But after the first lockdown period, we've then been able to keep the car park open. And in fact, at the moment, volunteering is also allowed if you look at the government regulations. And so we've been able to have volunteers working in small groups, never more than six, always spaced apart, always bringing their own tools so that we don't swap tools and so on. So that side of our work as volunteers has been able to continue. And is that mostly planting or are there other things that volunteers do? Uh, there's a huge amount that the volunteers do. I mean, from the, the, the mundane litter picking to going around all the uh, entrances to make sure leaflet uh, dispensers are filled up. Uh, in the winter, we do hedge laying and visitors will have seen that. And uh, we're also going to start shaping the edges of the woodland. What you don't want is grass and then suddenly a wall of timber 
what you want to see is grass, then if you like rough meadow, and then you want to see smaller shrubs, maybe some that have been coppiced and grown back, and eventually get into the high forest. And that not only looks lovely, but it's the best for wildlife as well. So that's what we'll be working on starting in this winter. In some parts of our lives, the lockdown has actually been very useful because there was a period of time when there was less traffic. You could hear birds singing much more because there weren't so many cars. Has there been anything that the COVID's actually brought to Hartwood that is a benefit? I think it has to many people who visited. We know that we have had visitors who didn't come before. And in fact, the village store has made the same comment that there were you know, people coming he'd never seen in the village before. And I think that's going to run on. You know, the numbers visiting are very high, even now, you know, in November, even on a wet day, you'll find there's a lot of people in the forest. So, you know, I think it's put it on the map because people were not able to work. They were looking for new places to walk, new experiences to have. At Hartwood, there's 20 kilometres of mown paths. Well, this year they weren't all mown, but they will be again next year. And so you can walk huge distances. At the moment, it's a bit muddy. But if you get away from the car park, there's lots of places you can explore. And of course, a lot of people are saying that that one of the things we needed most in in this time of pandemic was actually ability to get out into nature, into the wild, rather than being stuck in our own homes. Indeed. And, you know, a lot of people feel that and believe it. And uh, I'm sure that just walking in nature has a calming effect. Uh, It allows you to think. It allows you to have conversations with people that you wouldn't otherwise. You know, if you walk with people... You chat and you talk. And probably a lot of us didn't do that so much before. So all of those are real advantages. And I think we're very lucky to have what is 850 acres of fairly wild land, very close to St Albans, to Harpenden, to Sandridge, to Wheatonstead, a place that we can all visit easily. And of course, one of the great sights in the very early days was that burst of poppies because the land was being disturbed. Was it because it was going deeper than ever before? Poppies and cornflowers and a few other things need disturbed soil in order to germinate. They're annuals. That, for example, is why the battlefields of Europe sprang up with poppies after the war, because the soil had been disturbed and that exposes the seeds to light. But to be honest, poppies don't belong in a woodland environment. You know, it was a wonderful splash of colour at the start, um, but it was not typical of a woodland scene. What we've got now is more subtle, but I think even more beautiful. Because if you visit from April through to September, every month you will see different perennial wildflowers have come out. So we'll go from the oxide daisies, we'll go to the the red campion, we'll go to the scabious, we'll go to the wild carrot. This lovely succession of wildflowers coming in their season, attracting the insects and so on. Not quite as gaudy, not quite as spectacular, but really much more satisfying. What's it like at Christmas? I mean, presumably there's not much colour, there's not much new life. It's, it's about to spring is, is the, the great time. Well, when we were planting, we used to have Father Christmas visit, you know, in the plantings before Christmas so that children could come and, you know, just say hello to Father Christmas. Um, but we're not doing that anymore. But it's maybe a fraction early for the spring awakening. But certainly when you get to the end of February and early March, uh, you can see the buds beginning to swell. Actually, some of the hazel catkins are already expanding. So, so maybe a little bit of the sign of what's to come is already visible. Uh, but when you start in spring, you know, and the, uh, the flowers come on the shrubs and the trees and the leaves unfurl, it, it's a magical time. Brian, thank you very much indeed. And good luck to you and all the volunteers. Thank you. 
Leaving Hartwood behind, we keep heading north, past No Man's Land and the Wicked Lady, that's named after Hertfordshire's very own highwaywoman, up the hill and then down again into the village's main street. It's described on its own signpost as a pre-Roman riverside settlement, and Radio Verulam's Derek Staines found out more. It's my pleasure to now have a chat, a conversation with the Chief Executive Officer from Wheat Hampstead Parish Council, and that's uh, Julia Warren. Hello to you, Julia. Hello, Derek. Lovely to talk to you. Well, no, that's lovely to have you along. Now, Wheat Hampstead Parish Council, can you just uh, tell us what, what areas the council covers? Well, Wheat Parish Council is part of St Albans District. Uh, it's a large parish. We own about 170 acres of open spaces. And we're located north of St Albans and east of Harpenden. In fact, Wheatstead, the shape of Wheatstead is a bit like a Scotty dog, and it sort of cuddles <laughs> around the side of Harpenden. And then we, uh, uh, north of us is Kimpton, um, and south of us is Sandridge. Quite a big parish, very rural parish with a, a central more urban core. How does does a parish council work? Well, the parish council is effectively run by its elected members. So we've got 12 elected councillors who are all volunteers who come together and make decisions through either council meetings or through their committee meetings. And then there's myself and a small team of paid staff who then do the work, ensure that their decisions are fulfilled. And how has the pandemic affected the, the operations of your council? Well, the council has clearly gone to remote work in the same as most of the world, really. So Parliament changed legislation so that we could make decisions remotely. Previously, councillors had to meet face-to-face and you could only record your vote if you were there in person. We've changed legislation and we now meet by Zoom mm-hmm. and the staff are generally working remotely from home. Bit of a problem because obviously all our tech is in the office, so very reliant on the goodwill of staff to use their own technology and their own home bases. One member of staff is, is often going in. Office is closed, but is going in to check the post box and to utilise the office space. And we've reconfigured the building now so it is COVID safe. We're doing our utmost to operate as normal. And I think I think we're delivering as normal as possible a service. We, we've got remote connection through the computers and we've bought mobile phones. So you, you've got the same ability to connect electronically. It's just the face-to-face operations yeah. that are more difficult, obviously. And since the lockdown, we've heard many, many stories, some negative, but many positive. Can you give us some positive um, stories since the, the pandemic was foisted on us? Well, I think it, it, it came, obviously, as a huge shock to everybody. But the one thing I would take from it is that Wheaton City is a, a wonderful place to live. It's got an amazing community. And I think the community has become much stronger through the adversity of the pandemic and lockdown. Very early on, prior to the first lockdown, the the rector, Rector uh, Richard Bannon, brought together all the community leaders and we produced a group called Support for All. This has been well marketed and leafleted and advertised in every means that we possibly could. And it's worth supporting the community as a layer above that of your local community. So every street will have its own little street watch, WhatsApp group, look after your neighbour type group. And Mm -hmm. it's a layer above it where you can support people who perhaps fall through the gaps or don't want to ask their neighbour or need a loan of their for their shopping or some shopping and other things or other sort of support also organises the food bank works with the schools works with the doctor's surgery and the friends group the community group the community group has been very key because they've got grants and a bank account that can help support the vulnerable and support the 
volunteers, and they had a volunteer base to start off with. But it is really strong because now all the key leaders meet regularly to touch base, which means if somebody comes to anybody with a, I don't want to say the problem, but with a concern, then it can be instantly fed to the right part of the group to sort itself out. So I think it has made the community stronger. Mm, And that gives these people more confidence as well, doesn't it, uh, to carry on? I would like to think so, yes. And it's also, it's, it's nice, you know, many people have been working from home and have got more time or have been furloughed or indeed mm. sadly been made redundant. So they've got time and they can help out. And in adversity, it's always good to feel that you're helping somebody else because it gives you that nice warm glow. So, yes, I, I think so. Weed Hampstead, I mean, has got vast open spaces. How are they being managed uh, during these times? We've tried to maintain our open spaces in much the same way as usual. We, we have a contractor to mow the grass and that kind of thing, pick up the litter. And he has continued all through because I think it's really important to maintain it looking nice. Otherwise, the place just falls apart. When lockdown was reduced and you could get out, many more people accessed the open spaces. We worked with the rights-of-way officer at the county council and the landowners and helped organise that perhaps the gates were left open where there weren't animals grazing across the, the footpaths so it made it more accessible. You'd have to touch the gates and worry about catching something from mm. the, the kissing gates or the, the, the gates that you walked through along the footpath. We've just revamped our litter bins. We've got a whole load of new mixed waste bins, much greater capacity to enable you to dispose of your general litter or your dog waste, whatever. We've also got a new group of people who've gone in for litter picking. We've had an amazing base of people who've just quietly got on with picking up litter all the way through. But I think litter has become more of an issue. And there's now a new group who've who've got the litter bug. So you can do it quietly or you can join the litter group. We are trying to improve the face of what is a beautiful parish. It is wonderful and the, the park, the, the meads, the river, everything has been so well used. Our play areas, there's so much used now that things begin to wear out so we're finding we're, we're replacing the wood bark surfacing that is in some of our play areas because it's been so trampled because of use. Which of course is a plus really because it's nice to think that people are out there getting a bit of exercise, getting some fresh air which gives you a nice well-being factor and seeing people. Yes. Um, even if you can't get too close. And a lot of this voluntary work, that does go unnoticed, doesn't it? It, it really does. Um, we do our best to um, acknowledge our volunteers. And perhaps one of our key groups of volunteers are those that organise the Crinkle Crankle Community Garden. Uh, the garden was funded by a very generous bequest a year or two ago. Uh, but there's a dedicated band of volunteers who have organised all the planting, continue to do all the weeding, and just maintain the place. It is stunning. If you haven't found it, it's a little oasis right in the centre of the village with lots of benches, nicely socially distanced benches, so you can pick up yourself a picnic from one of the shops in the village and then toddle through and eat. Later on, you can participate or watch a game of balls, possibly not now, but it, it, it's quiet, and then it's got a backdrop of the church, a backdrop of Rectory Meadow, and it, it's, it's a few yards down King Edward Place, past the bakers, past loafing and the, the flower shop. Well, I think my wife and I will take a drive out there because uh, I haven't heard of that before, but it sounds absolutely idyllic. To just oh, get... you, you really must. You can park for free in East Lane Car Park 
And then if you go one way towards the village, you can go to the Prinkle Crankle Garden. Or if you go the other way, you can go along the river into the meads and then perhaps access the network of footpaths that take you all over. The, I say it's a, it's a large parish. If you go to our website, you can see the footpath trails all over it. Or so you can follow the signs. And can you briefly give us your website address? It's wheatonstead-pc.gov.uk. That's lovely. Well, look, Julia, thank you so much for taking the time for having a chat with us today. And may I, on behalf of all of us here at Radio Verulam, uh, wish you all a very, very happy Christmas and most of all a healthy and prosperous New Year. And to you too. Thank you very much indeed, Derek. Now, for my own time living close to this village, I know there's a surprising amount to see, starting with the historic trail, which leads you around, as I recall, 16 different historic places. Now, one of those people who had a lot to do with creating that trail was contacted by Radio Verulam's Claire Graham. This is Claire Graham for Radio Verulam, and I would like to introduce to you Annie Brewster. Annie is a district and county councillor for Wheat Hampstead and Redbourne, and her portfolio role is that of, wait for this, Hertfordshire County Council Deputy Executive Cabinet Member for Public Health and Prevention. Also, Back in 2013 through to 2014, she held the title of the Right Worshipful, the Mayor of St Albans City and District. What a pedigree. So without further ado, I'm handing over to you, Annie, for your thoughts on behalf of the villagers. Hello, Claire. And I'm delighted to be giving a positive slant on the COVID year, because you imagine most of the meetings are all about the real problems that we've got. So talking about the positive things, the villagers have really come into their own. Both Redbourne and Wheat Hampstead, very good examples. Wheat Hampstead, all our churches, both our schools, the police, GP surgery, the Wheat Hampstead community group, the dementia wellbeing group, the Friends Parish Council, all of those come together to create an organisation called Support to All. And there's a phone line for anyone to ring up if they have any issue whatsoever with needing help with shopping or dog walking or just lonely. So that's worked brilliantly. And Redbourne Care Group have got a similar organisation there and they create the most awesome newsletters with um, quizzes and all sorts of things that go out to all their households. And then there's a new group called Active in Redbourne and they are active and they have got stay-at-home exercises, online workshops about well-being, and all this sort of thing. The best news is that we've been inundated with volunteers and that's a nice problem to have. Almost too many. But what is great is that being good neighbours has it started and those relationships have stayed. I mean, there's one gentleman in his 90s we didn't know lived near us and he called up. He was desperate for some beige socks. And by the end of a quick call out, I think he had about 36 pairs of beige socks. But yeah, it's a good it's a good example. We found people we didn't even know about. Also, obviously, our businesses, heart goes out to them. But in terms of restaurants with the takeout service, they are so popular. And of course, in villages, we've got a lot of immediate green spaces, the new Crinkle Crankle Garden in Wheat Hampstead, for instance. But then with just walking and certainly cycling distance, we've got direct access to um, the miles and miles of Hertfordshire countryside, so not even needing to go on the roads. So that's a great bonus. And you probably know this, but local estate agents actually have been very busy since lockdown. I think people now appreciating how important gardens are and green spaces. I think that's a very surprising thing and not something that one would have expected to happen. 
So there are so many good things that have come out of this. In lockdown, I think when the children were off school, they had a chance to meet up again with some of the people that they hadn't met since they were at primary schools. Now they're going back to school. Obviously, they're all in their bubbles, but I think it's great that they're back at school. I think that's something that's really important. And the other thing that's so wonderful to see are people, I mean, even last Sunday, just seeing people again exercising out on bikes, complete families, you know, people we've never seen before trying these things. The other thing, we've got an electric bike shop in Wheat Hampstead. And he says that his average age of customer is between 50 and 80, which is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so that's obviously really yeah, giving people a, the opportunity to go that bit further. Oh, Annie, it's just lovely. So lovely to hear from you. And thank you. I know how busy you are. I really want to just take this time to thank you for everything you do for us. And also, let's send out all our Radio Verulam love to the villages. Wheat Hampstead, Redbourne, Sandridge, uh, beautiful places and beautiful people who have all come together during this time to bring some positivity. We are very grateful. Thank you, Claire. There are three villages done, one more to go. So it's further north, past St Albans High School's junior department, up Lammer Lane, past the golf club and the three chicanes, onwards past Gustardwood and Blackmore End before descending the winding road into Kimpton. And this is where Johnny Seabrook caught up with parish councillor Ian Corbett. I've got Ian Corbett, who's a parish councillor from Kimpton Council with me. Hi Ian, thank you ever so much for being with us today. You're welcome, John. It's been such a strange year and the talk about Christmas around the corner has been full of hopes and dreams and aspirations and what is Christmas going to be like and I hear there's lots of things going on with the Kimpton Parish Council to make sure that Christmas does happen and is celebrated in certain ways. What are some of those things Ian that are taking place? Well I think John it's more what the community as a a whole has come together to put on as a series of events to keep the Christmas and community spirit alive and the council has played a role in facilitating some of those. I guess the the headline one would be the Kimpton Christmas Market, which we started in 2017. So it should have been the fourth year and it will still happen, just obviously like a lot of things in a bit of a different way. It will be a virtual Christmas market this year and each of the stalls will have an album on Facebook and contact details will also be shown on the Kimpton Village website. It's great to see already the uptake is already, I think we've got about 25 storeholders confirmed, which is similar to what we would have if we were holding it in person. Are they people that have been part of the actual uh, market in the past then, but have come back and doing it virtually? That's right, yes. Yeah. So we've, we've gone out and we've contacted previous stallholders. We've also put a message out on our village Facebook group in case there's new businesses in the area or residents who fancy having a go. The idea of the market all along has been to keep it quite local and low-key. And we want to keep that going, even though, as I say, uh, it won't be on the kind of the historic village green like it normally is, but it'll be happening online. Of course. And one of the things that uh, we've got down here is the Kimpton Cares food table. Now, I'm intrigued to uh, hear what what this is about. I guess it's two things. So Kimpton Cares itself is an initiative set up by the village at the start of, of the coronavirus crisis, really, to offer all sorts of support to residents. And we've got about 70 people on a, on a WhatsApp group that 
you know, answer the, the calls and requests for help. And in addition, we promote it by email, uh, phone or, or by putting leaflets through the post so people are aware of it. And as a development of that, which started off, to be honest, more around, you know, picking up medicines from chemists or food from supermarkets, etc. We did identify a need to have a food bank of sorts, if you like, in the village itself. So we've got a table now at the back of the church, which is open during daylight hours. And, and if people can't get there, we will deliver it through the Kimpton Cares Network. People have donated items and then yeah the residents who who need them are making use of it so it's proven popular on both sides at the moment right i say and this is i mean out of all the sadness that we've actually had this year one of the great things that has come through is this community spirit really that that has shone through and this is a really good example of that isn't it it is. And I think, you know, Kimpton is, is quite well known in the area, I think, for the community spirit and for the number of kind of clubs, societies, activities that go on and, and the social calendar that we have. And we've wanted to keep that alive. Of course, like everything else, you have to pivot and do it a bit differently, given the current climate. But what we've seen is it genuinely has got even stronger through the crisis. And I'm sure we'll continue once we come out of the other side into springtime. And I think a good example of that is how people in the village have come together to kind of put on events that we can all enjoy, even whilst being, if you like, socially distanced. So we had a teddy bear trail at Easter. We had a Stones trail and a Halloween trail. And now for Christmas, we've got a Light Up Kimpton initiative, oh, right. which is about trying to, you know, a simple thing of just putting a piece of stained glass effect window art, if you like, in your window from December the 1st. You can use anything really to do it. And it'll be a mix of the serious crafters and the, the have-a-goers and um and we'll kind of light up Kimpton so you can walk around the streets and, and get a, a sense of that Christmas spirit. And also, I guess, you know, the, the sense of belonging and tackle some of the isolation that we're hearing about. So so it'll be bring lightness all around, I suppose. Excellent. Bringing a little bit of joy with that light. And so we're not talking massive, great Christmas lights <laughs> out the front of everyone's house. It could be something as simple as you say, a little bit of stained glass and um, some, some art in, in the front window. Exactly, exactly. I mean, obviously, um, I'd love to see what, what we've got. But yeah, it could be yeah, anything from a few quality street wrappers, <laughs> uh, a bit of tissue paper. I'm sure some people will be very creative, others less though. But it's just, uh, yeah, just bringing a, a little bit of joy, I suppose, as you wander around. And then, you know, for those who are a bit more artistic, if you like, we have also got a community art installation going on, which is a huge advent calendar that's posted outside the village stores on a, on a huge stand. And, and each day, somebody will, you know, will open one of those windows and see what picture's been painted behind it. And that will be a mixture of children, families or adults providing each of the days in the lead up to Christmas. Excellent. That sounds wonderful. Now, there's one thing that we need to mention, well, what I'd like to mention just quickly, was this whole project that's going on about looking towards some, some new goalposts in the, in the local community, because this is something that we think is important for the youngsters, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So um, probably 12, 18 months ago now, the, the, um, the parish council paid for some movable goals to go onto the onto the recreation ground so that the kids could have a kick about and of course the problem is if you have fixed goals that the goals themselves then get rutted and and you know waterlogged so the portable movable goals are great on a number of counts and they've proved hugely popular and even more so during the lockdown period and before where you know there aren't as many opportunities for the children to stay active and to play sports so we've actually bought a second set of goals now because we had found that um we, we, were, we were getting a bit of a queue where the kids were waiting for a kickabout on a Sunday afternoon. And, you know, we, we, we obviously want to encourage that. So, yeah, so we put an extra set of goals in. 
so that we can we can have even more football fun up on the wreck. Why not? Ian, if people want to find out more about all these wonderful things, about the Christmas market, uh, the Kimpton Cares food table, Light Up Kimpton, the Advent Window Project, how can they go about? Is there somewhere they can go to get a little bit more information? Yeah, sure. Like a lot of villages, we have a, a Facebook group that's for, for a public group of people based in the village. For people who just want to find out a bit more about what's going on, the best thing to do is to have a look at the Kimpton Village website. It's all on there and we keep it regularly updated. And as I say, you know, this is very much focused on what's going on at the moment, of course, around Christmas. But ordinarily, we have a May festival, a folk festival in July, an art show, a horse show. So there's lots going on in Kimpton, not just at Christmas, but right throughout the year. Excellent. Listen, Ian, thank you ever so much for your time. Oh, I should ask just quickly, um, the Kimpton Parish website, do, do we have the address for that? So we could, just to mention that on air. Yeah, of course. So it's just kimptonvillage.com. Excellent. Marvellous stuff. And have a great Christmas. Thank you ever so much, Ian. You're welcome, John. All the best. Kimpton lies along the valley of a dried-up riverbed, and some of its houses date back to the 16th century. Its most famous event was in February 2001, when Kimpton was hit by flooding that followed an unprecedented amount of rainfall. The dried-up river Kim emerged again and decided to run over rather than under the road. Oh well, climate change came early that year. Our final guest was certainly alive in that year of the flood, and she may even remember it. Though as Clive Glover found out, she's having to cope with this year's natural disaster and doing it very well. Hello, this is Clive Glover and I'm going to talk to um, Hannah Cowell, who is a young person, a student, who was born and brought up in Kimpton and spent the time in Kimpton over the lockdown and then most of last year, even though she was actually in London at university. But you came back, I think, didn't you, Kanna? Yeah, I did. So um, lockdown was actually announced the same day as um, so I was living in student accommodation and the hall manager of where I was living said, look, we'll, um, if you move out before this date, we'll waive your rent and you don't have to pay for next term. And just same night as I got that email, um, lockdown was announced. So um, the next day we kind of had to dart down there and um, move out and um, sort everything out. So yeah, I then came back home, which is uh, which is Kimpton for me. Right. And obviously that's quite a small village, isn't it? It's about 2,000 people, I think. I think last time I checked, yeah. Yeah, well, probably not grown too much. <laughs> you spent your time there, obviously, in your family home with your, your parents. And I think you've got a brother, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I've got a twin brother. How was that for you under the circumstances? And did you sort of, I presume you didn't regret that you made that decision to go back home? No, it was um, obviously a lot safer. Um, my parents obviously preferred it because um, I was in London and um, I was in East London. I was in Hackney, which kind of proved to be a bit of a bad area um, in terms of cases. So um, it was a bit of a rush and um, a bit of a panic, but I'm glad I came home. Definitely. And then obviously in Kimpton, I mean, it's a quite small place, as we said, and therefore perhaps there wasn't very much to do. And obviously a young person like yourself may be used to going out quite a lot and that you couldn't really do all that stuff. So how did you cope with that uh, period when you basically, I suppose the only thing you could do was perhaps go out the house and walk around or go down to the shops occasionally? Yeah, I was um, I was trying to go walking as much as I could. Uh, my dad definitely got into walking uh, as he was having a lot more time at home since um, he, he couldn't work during the pandemic. I became, say, a lot more productive. Uh, I basically work in um, music technology. So I, 
I, I edit music for people and I just had a lot of time to really work on my craft and get a bit better. Well, that's quite interesting. So yes, you, you basically took the time to sort of teach yourself more stuff. I mean, basically that's what you were doing in university anyway, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And um, uh, I was, I think also during the beginning, I was, um, I had to take online classes as well because my last term was obviously kind of working over when the pandemic started. I mean, it's a sort of subject where you need some hands-on stuff, but I mean, you've got some of your own equipment, I know that. So you've been using that as part of your teaching yourself. Yeah, obviously it is a bit of a shame because um, my university is, um, you know, you kind of, the reason you pay so much is to kind of use facilities and use the equipment and um they've got some really good industry standard stuff but um i've kind of been uh, limited to the laptop which is um which has been fine but um you know it's kind of like look at what you could have won <laughs> yes like yes so now tell me about kimpton in the sense that i mean obviously where you're walking around you you obviously were meeting other people although keeping distance and all the rest of it how did you find the atmosphere there i mean obviously as you've been brought up there presumably you knew quite a lot of people anyway yeah, it's um, usually fairly pleasant kind of um, carry-on attitude when you um, you kind of are knowing people and um, kind of when you walk around, things are relatively the same. It was kind of a relief, like we've only got one pub, we've only got one shop and they were kind of, they adapted fairly well. So only one shop, was that able to provide all the things that you needed during that period? Yeah, yeah, and like um, emergencies and stuff like that um for sure but um i guess we were kind of lucky um that the major supermarkets were still delivering fairly well and my mum was uh <laughs> my mum was keeping on top of getting a slot and everything so um right that sounds sounds like you cope pretty well i was wondering were you aware of other people doing things you know obviously in, in other areas we know people were setting up little sort of voluntary groups to go and do shopping for old people that sort of stuff were you aware of any of that going on in kimpton yeah, it was um, it was great to see. Um, you kind of saw signs kind of put up on the community boards. Um, since uh, we were kind of we have we have like a little church and like um, quite a, an elderly population. People being so willing to help and stuff like that. You expect to be going back to university in the new year, presumably. I suppose you haven't had any confirmation of that yet because it's still things keep changing all the time, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they've been great at running things online at the moment. I've been quite lucky. Um, I basically have um, two classes a week and um, one of my days every week I can go in, which is um, useful because um, a module around a specific piece of equipment. But um, on my other weeks, I kind of I go in, I go into university one day of the week and then the next week I go online and it kind of switches like that. Okay, well, thank you very much, Hannah. And I hope you um, certainly uh, enjoy Christmas however we can and the new year will be a brighter and better one for you and everybody else thank you very much and you thank you for having me cheers thank you so that's been a quick look at the villages that are an integral part of our city and district though to be honest technically kimpton is just beyond rather than within the boundary we've been to kimpton wheathampstead sundridge and redbourne this was their 2020 a year to remember for lots of good reasons And maybe in 2021, you'll get a chance to look them up when COVID is just a distant memory. I'd like to thank my colleagues from Radio Verlum for their help in making this programme. Steve Simpson, Johnny Seabrook, Claire Graham, Derek Staines, Clive Glover and Lauren Kemp. And thanks to everyone who contributed to tell their stories from the strange and very different year of 2020. Now, next week, at the same time, Radio Verlum is focusing on Harpenden and all the good things to report about the town. 
Now, I've uh, got a postscript. Radio Verulam is supporting the Christmas Keep Connected anti-loneliness campaign. We've heard of uh, several schemes within these villages which are designed to tackle loneliness, keep in touch with people in the village. So maybe we could all take a moment to think about this. Christmas can indeed be a lonely time, and this year it's likely to be especially true. So maybe if we can think about approaching a person we feel might be lonely in order to offer support and friendship, maybe a neighbour or a friend, Remind them that feeling lonely is a normal part of being human. It's nothing to be ashamed of, and there's no embarrassment in reaching out for help. Maybe you can signpost such a person to somewhere where they might be able to find some help. I'm Rob Pierman. On behalf of everyone at Radio Verulam, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year for 2021, whatever it may throw at us.